the survivors at the end of the story, um, if you haven't got hold of one, so. 1,004. And we're just going to take a few minutes um, just to, to reflect on this and what John's getting at. Um, and all the Gospels are extraordinary, um, but John's is particularly unique in that um, Matthew, Mark and Luke um, sort of approach their Gospels in a kind of historical fashion, they're a bit sort of factual and things like that, and John just goes in for the theology of this is who Jesus is and this is what it all means. Um, so John starts off his Gospel not with a kind of birth narrative of Jesus, but with a this is who Jesus is, the Word made flesh. Um, so the big headlines are that Jesus is fully God. Right there, verse 1. Um, that he's come to fulfill the Old Testament, all that was promised in the Old Testament. So he picks up Genesis 1, Exodus 33, 34, um, with Moses. And of course, that Jesus is fully human, whilst being fully God, which is a bit of a mystery that we'll consider in a moment. And the beauty of scripture um, is that it's absolutely, absolutely the eternal word of God. But it's also always contextual because God chooses to use us. He chooses to use human beings. We're we're his hands and feet. Um, So in these starting verses, John's actually getting hold of a word that would have been really, really well known um, in the first century. So he uses this word logos, logos, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and it's a bit like a word like present today. Um, so I could give you a present, but I could also be present. So it's a word that's got lots of meanings. Um, and to the kind of um, Greek Romans um, who are around in the first century, so the sort of Roman um, Empire and everything, um, Logos was this idea of the sort of force behind the world. Um, the force that made everything right, that sort of imbibed meaning into the world. But for first-century Jews, the Logos was a word that was found in the Old Testament time and time again. So if you read the Psalms, if you read uh, Proverbs, especially Proverbs chapter 8, if you look at some of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Logos, the Word of God, is the wisdom of God. And what John does is he gets hold of this, and he says, actually, all of that is Jesus. So Jesus is the wisdom of God, but he's also the word of God who made creation, by whom everything is created. Um, So he imbibes that word with a whole new meaning, um, getting hold of who Jesus is. So let's read this text. So we're going to go from um, verse 1 through to 18, and we'll stop in various places. So in the beginning was the word, the logos of God. And the Word, the Logos, was with God. And the Word, the Logos, was God. So that's John's first big assertion. This Jesus Christ, this baby in a manger, he will grow up to do extraordinary things, die on the cross, rise again, return and appear to the disciples. He is God. And so he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What John is getting at there is actually creation was made by the word, by Jesus Christ, and for Jesus Christ. 
And if you ever um, pick up the book of Colossians, so Colossians chapter 1, um, verses 15 through to 20, get hold of that. that. Actually, creation was made by Jesus and for Jesus. And so, in him was life. And that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that word overcome there is so interesting because it's really, really hard to translate. So if you pick up different versions of the Bible, sometimes it says um, hasn't overcome it, sometimes it says hasn't extinguished it, sometimes it says hasn't understood it, sometimes it says hasn't comprehended it. The point is that God is so huge and so rich and deep in meaning. That is all of those things. The light shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or extinguished it, or understood it, or comprehended it. God. Above all gods. And then suddenly there's this little insert, almost to be really, really clear on who John is as a person. So we've got, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then we get back into the person of Jesus, the word of God. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And there John's getting hold of um, so much of the kind of adoption language that we find in the New Testament. Paul in um, Romans 8, we're adopted in. It's for all humankind. We become sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. And then we get to the heart of the matter in verse 14. So the word, the Logos God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. God made flesh, who made his dwelling amongst us. Somehow God and humanity united in this person. That is Jesus. And so one of the questions for us this Christmas time is actually, how, how do we picture Jesus? You know, do we approach Jesus in that kind of slight carol fashion of little Jesus meek and mild? Or actually, do we approach Jesus as this awe-inspiring, incarnate, God with us, person, full of grace and truth? So full, full of compassionate love, but full of radical conviction. Always love further on in John, in um, John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. And John steps before the Pharisees and says to them, you know, you who um, have not sinned, cast the first stone. And so they all walk away. And they leave this woman because they realise that they can't kill her. They can't stone her to death, even though she's been caught in adultery. Because actually, each of them has committed a sin. And that's Jesus' radical compassion. And he loves that woman. But he doesn't leave her right there and just say, wonderful love. Off you go. And actually, he says, go and sin no more. 
because true love is full of conviction. And what scripture presents us with, what Jesus presents us with, is full of grace and full of truth. And that's the God we approach. So how do we approach Jesus this Christmas time? Let's mull that over. And then John comes back into the picture. He starts speaking in verse 15 again. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but this grace and this truth came through Jesus Christ. And what John is doing there is assuring us of what Matthew talks about when Jesus comes onto the scene in Matthew 5 and he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Actually, there, John's picking up Exodus at chapter 33 and 34, where the law, the Old Testament law, is given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and he's saying, Jesus, Jesus has come to fulfill this, full of grace and truth, utterly compassionate, utterly full of conviction. And then he closes this Logos poem by almost going back to verse 1 with these words in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. So fully God and fully human being, all in the person of Jesus. Which is a huge thing to contemplate, isn't it? Um, I was trying to come up with an analogy for it. This is like the world's worst analogy. Um, But I thought of a chocolate bar. And sometimes, you know, a chocolate bar can be two things at once. This chocolate bar is both biscuit and chocolate. Now, that is a terrible analogy for the incarnation, but somehow something kind of chocolate bar-y happened in the person of Jesus Christ. All of our humanity and all that God is was united in, in this baby, in a manger. And so that's actually where we land this evening. Um, the early church fathers and the people in the kind of second through to about the fifth century who were trying to wrestle out theology and trying to get to grips with who on earth Jesus was and what on earth the Christian faith was were wrestling with this all the time. And they just hit on two things. They were like, ultimately, he's got to be God. Because if he wasn't God, he wouldn't have had the power to save. A chap called Athanasius um, said that. But equally, said a chap called Irenaeus, he had to be human. Because if he hadn't become like us and hadn't walked through every stage of life with us, he wouldn't have been able to save us. So the power of the living God united with our humanity and bought for us our salvation, which is extraordinary. And so the challenge this Christmas is how do we approach Jesus? How do we approach him in his humanity? Because actually ascended in his humanity, which means somehow in the great mystery of faith, humanity is eternally in the Godhead. And we're eternally drawn up into the divine life. And he is eternally with us. So we approach him in his humanity in one way. We approach him as the writer of Hebrews says that actually he suffered in every way like us, yet was without sin. He's walked through a human life. 
but we approach him as God, worthy of all adoration and praise. Um, the incarnate deity. That's one hymn that I can't remember the title of, um, expresses it. So let's just take a moment to, to pause in the quiet before God and just say, okay, Lord, I approach you afresh. I understand that you understand me because you became like me, but I honour you as my God and my King. Amen. Amen.